Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security Confidential. I'm your host, Manoj Tandon, and today we are joined by a very special guest. We have Dr. Joseph J. Burt Miller with us. Uh, he has an illustrious history. Uh, he just recently received his PhD, so congratulations to him. Uh, he was down in Florida last week uh, to go and, uh, and receive the actual uh, degree. Uh, but, you know, Joseph's come to us. He, he's got a great background, and we're going to actually have him on again a little bit later to talk about how he got into cyber. Uh, but we'll touch upon it briefly. He's, you know, he's had careers in the U.S. Air Force. He's done HVAC. He's worked for our federal government and now... Uh, understand cybersecurity infrastructure, uh, cybersecurity issues related to infrastructure better than anyone else on the planet. And we're really honored to have him. Uh, Dr. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, th thanks for, hey, by the way, I got to ask, how's Florida? <laughs> oh, Flo Florida was great. <laughs> uh, great weather. Uh, no, it was beautiful. I had a, had a real good time there. That's that's fantastic. And congratulations on your degree again. That's that's great. Thank you. So I got to ask you a, a little bit. I know our listeners are going to want to know this. You you uh, spent some time in the Air Force. Did you learn about cyber in the Air Force? No. <laughs> so my my first career field uh, was uh, HVAC. So that's a uh, heat and ventilation, air conditioning, for those who don't know. Um, so yeah, so that was my first career field. I learned that while in the Air Force. I spent four years in the military uh, before um, uh, getting my honorable discharge. Uh, did, did some time, uh, you know, working some jobs before I got a, got back into the government as a civilian, uh, working at the VA hospital in New Jersey and still doing uh, HVAC for maybe about four or five years. And during that time, I was studying uh, for my bachelor's bachelor's degree in uh, computer information systems. And um, I was really pushing because uh, I, I, I even received some motivation to really finish as uh, I would, I would notice that my coworkers who, who would come into work they always uh, had some sort of ailment. They were limping or something. Yeah. Something was going on with them. And um, and I still remember to this day, one of my former coworkers, uh, he he came in, uh, he sat down, put had one of those uh, pill separators on the table, oh, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, what you know? What's that for?" And mind you, I'm like I don't know, like 19 around this time. And uh, I said, "Hey, you know what? What is that?" I was like, oh, I take this for pain every day. And I, in, my, in my mind, I was like, oh, no, this this, this is not my future. So, I, you know, I kept pushing and studying. I was coming to work every day with my book bag to the point where my supervisors called me professor because I, I was studying during lunch breaks and everything. So I was uh, very determined to make that pivot into uh, into IT. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think for our listeners, uh, you know, we've had several guests on that have talked about their eclectic career paths uh, into cyber. So I, I would say and remind everyone that there's really no one way to get into cyber. As you're seeing Dr. Joseph from his own experience, he took a very unique path. And we've had several people on that have said the same thing. So if you're thinking about cybersecurity, it's a great place to be. Uh, and you don't have to, uh, you know, just because you you might be in HVAC or you might be working somewhere where you're looking for an advancement and you figure that's all you know, don't think that way. You can always get into cyber and we'd love to have determined folks. So that that's that's fantastic. So how did you catch your first break? What was the... Yes, yeah, so, so my, my first break... Um... I guess, I guess first uh, in the IT was, so during my time while I was at um, at the VA hospital in East Orange, New Jersey, um, as I mentioned, you know, as I was studying, uh, in, during this time I was applying for jobs that were open at the time and I was receiving a lot of rejections. Uh, it was almost to the point where I, I almost, you know, gave up uh, 
you know, I received, I don't know, at least seven or eight rejections until I finally uh, broke through. And um, I give a lot of credit to my super, my first supervisor uh, in IT that gave me that chance. Uh, he, I think he saw how determined and I guess hungry I was because, yeah. um, you know, in my, in my mind, you know, getting to that point was not easy from all the failures I had previously to get in. So with that said, you know, and any project that came up, I was, you know, I was raising my hand and say, yeah, I'll do it. You know, cause to me, it's like, you know, that, that's experience, you know, who, who am I to turn it down? And I think my supervisor did. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think my supervisor, he liked that. Um, especially given other folks in the shop, they were like, oh man, I don't want to do that. Me. I was like, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. And, 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 and that really, I, I believe, cultivated a great relationship between my supervisor and I. And uh, even to this day, I um, I still keep up with him. He's actually retired now. Um, his name is uh, Gary Giordano. And uh, he gave me a lot of leeway. He gave me a lot of, he allowed me to really experiment. And, and with that, that allowed me to learn and to, to really to grow. Um, and, you know, I give him a lot of credit for that because uh, from from what I've seen, you know, going from the Air Force up to now through my civilian government career, you know, I've had good leaders and bad leaders and bad leaders don't want to let you, you know, they, they kind of want to keep you close and really don't want you to deviate from anything. But, uh, no, my, um, my supervisor, he really trusted me and, you know, he, he gave, he, he allowed me to really uh, do what I need to, what I needed to, to grow and, and to flourish, always pushed on me to go for certs, you know, you know, get certifications under my belt. Yep. Um, he always pushed that on me. Um, he's, a, I, I remember he gave me like this big book, like this big DOS book to study. Uh, you know, so it, it was just, you know, just a culmination of different things that, uh, I think really helped propel me something that, that I took on, uh, cause I, I left there, uh, from that point on to go to, um, I went to uh, Nebraska and um, uh, worked at the, the VA hospital there and then bounced around a bit. Uh, then from there, worked at the Air Force as a, a sysadmin um, for uh, off at Air Force Base before returning uh, back to the East Coast. And, and that's where I worked at the uh, DOD uh, Cybercrime Center. And that was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know how much I could really uh, say no, but, what we did. Well, I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, know, you can say I can't answer this, but I got to ask you. Yeah. What, what can you give an ex maybe hint at some uh, memorable crimes that you saw? <laughs> <laughs> Things that you would say, wow, that was pretty good. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could really uh, elaborate too much on, um, on those things things I, I i guess more just what was already out in the public i think so during that time uh, uh you know north korea was you know being fussy so yeah we we would that's uh, nice I, I, I yeah i i i definitely enjoyed the the morning um the morning meetings and and um i guess the morning briefings i should say and you know kind of go through all the different uh I guess threat, uh, I guess threats for the day or what have you. And, um, well, I, gotta I don't know. It, so it, let me, let me ask you this. Like you brought up North Korea. Are those guys competent? I'm curious. I mean, uh, or was this one of the things they had one competent fellow and then you guys would know when the bad crew came on because they just didn't know a clue what they were doing. So oh, well, as far as North Korea. Yeah. Or, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know I that part I can't I guess maybe I can't confidently answer um, we, we definitely had uh, our analytics uh, folks that maybe that they were more uh, in hand or in touch with with that uh, but uh, but for what I've seen I, I, I guess I would say that maybe North Korea wasn't the wasn't the top you know, as far as uh, threat actors, I mean, they definitely were a threat actor, but 
you know, um, maybe efficiency, maybe they weren't, you know, at the, at the top. I, the top I, I get you. You're being very polite. I, well, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I might use some other language there, but I get it. Uh, I think our listeners are going to understand that too. And I, I had a feeling that, that just might be the case. So let me rewind just for a second. You mentioned that you had a lot of rejections and failures is what, you know, fail, I guess personally, and this is just my opinion or my experience that you really can't have success that is lasting without having experienced failures. It, it, it never right. really works out. Uh, the failures teach us some of the most valuable lessons. So is there anything that you would say that you look back on now that you say, well, at the time it looked like a failure, but that was a key thing that helped me achieve my success? I would. So if I'm going back, that would be going back even to what before I um, before I joined the military. I so after I finished high school, I um, I received acceptance to uh, Penn State University. Um, you know, they sent me the welcome packet in the mail, and you know, you I was all excited, ready to go, and. Um, you know, we go through the packet, you know, my parents and I, and we get to the financial sh- uh, section and, you know, it was almost like you're trying to buy a Mercedes Benz every year. And my, my parents was like, not going to be able to do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, that was, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't upset, of course, at them or nothing like that. Um, but, I, you know, naturally I was disappointed because I, I didn't want to go, but, uh, so at the same time, I had to think, okay, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to, I'm not the one to really sit at home and just do nothing. You know, I, I had to figure out what I was going to do as, um, you know, graduating high school. And, you know, I had this summer now, which I thought I was going to go to Penn State, but, you know, plans changed. So what now during my time in high school, while well, I attended um, Mount Vernon High School, and mind you, um, I'm a product of Mount Vernon, uh, New York, uh, born in the Bronx, and um, I moved to Mount Vernon when I was about four years old. And uh, you know, I don't really have much memories of the Bronx, like growing up, but really Mount Vernon is uh, my home. But um, yeah, so with that said, yeah, I, I attended Mount Vernon High School. I, at the time when I attended, uh, they they started a new. Um, uh, JROTC or, or Air Force, the junior ROTC program at the time. And so when that, when that was announced, when that occurred, my, my mom, you know, she, you know, she came to the school. She's like, Hey, we're signing you up. We decided <laughs> <laughs> signing you up. So I was like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. So, um, so I signed up and, um, no, it was, you know, uh, it was probably the best thing ever did because that helped you know, during the four years that really helped prepare me for what I, you know, at the time I didn't have plans to necessarily say I was going to do the military at the high school, but it definitely gave me something for me to, uh, I guess to fall back on in a sense. I know that may sound cliche, but, um, no, it definitely helped me. Uh, and I'm so grateful. And I still thank my parents up till now, you know, because I still reap, uh, the, the benefits of the military up to this point. Um, you know, so the the stipulations, of course, with uh, the military and, and uh, you know, junior ROTC programs is that you have to attend the the JROTC program for at least three years in order to get credit uh, within the military. And of course, you, you know, when, with credit, we're talking about rank and rank is money. That's how you get paid. So after, you know, finishing uh, basic training, instead of, you know, you know, graduating as a no striper or, or, or one striper on my sleeve, uh, I had two. So that was a big jump, but that was a big advantage. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful again, you know, Fantastic. to give you that step ahead. Um, but again, motivation, man, I tell you, you're one oh, yeah. motivated person. You're willing <laughs> to go that mile. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, um, no, it, like I said, it, it, it really, uh, like I said, that it, 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 it did give me that, you know, motivation to, you know, I, I think a lot of times I try to assess 
you know, situations. And then, you know, I, then I try to, you know, plot out what it is I'm going to do next. What's the next step. Um, I guess another part is that I guess I'll, I'll mention too, is that, so I, I was, uh, so I have four kids and, um, I had a, a phone call, um, with my son, uh, my youngest son, Ricky, uh, he's nine, he's going to be uh, turning 10 towards the end of this month. And, um, it, it was a difficult, it, it was a hard conversation. Uh, cause he told me that, uh, he told me that he couldn't read or he had trouble reading and, and, and that, you know, as a father hearing that, you know, I felt kind of helpless because, you know, at the time I'm, you know, he, they're, they're living in Nebraska with their mom and, and I'm on the East coast and, you know, I felt sort of helpless. And, I'm, and then also at the same time, my brain is, 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 is working thinking, okay, what can I do to, uh, to help him? And, um, so I got, I got to, I, I spoke with my cousin, uh, who, uh, my cousin, Nick, who lives in the Bronx and, uh, you know, started, you know, I explained to him my, I guess my plan of what I want to do was, you know, doing something to where, you know, like re- pre- pretty much reading books in front of a camera for him. But, you know, cause you know, a lot of kids that they love, you know, especially now they want the tech in front of them, right. like iPads and Instant what have gratification. You. Yeah. Right. So uh, you know, think okay, I got I have to kind of meet him where he is. So if he's going to be doing that, let me be one of those clips that he watches, and um, and I am you know playing on that familiarity because he sees it's someone he knows his father, and then he's he'll be more apt to to join along because he sees me reading, he would want to uh, follow along as well. So after I guess some. You know, I guess some pilot uh, episodes or, or what have you, um, or trials, I should say, um, we was able to uh, create, uh, pretty much create a group called Read to Lead. Uh, so we, we created a whole uh, YouTube channel. We we had, you know we did everything, um, tr- really creating a, a social media presence, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, what have you. And, and what was the name of the group again? Uh, Read to Lead. Read to Lead. Okay. Yeah. And, um, we, uh, yeah, so essentially we, we were just, uh, you know, we, we started out with me, you know, reading books in uh, front of the camera and, you know, just really just trying to make it fun. Uh, also, re- you know, at, at that time I was really, I became more aware of how much, uh, you know, I guess literacy within kids was how much of a problem or, or an issue that is, um, you know, uh, for kids. So, we wanted to make reading and, you know, make reading fun, you know, you know, a lot of times if you, if they don't see, if the kids don't see it as work, you know, they're, they're more apt to, you know, to, to do it more often or, 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 you know, to, to, to do something where they don't feel like they need any push from anyone to be like, Hey, I, I want to read this or, you know, and I think that's good because then it helps to increase that, that literacy. And also, um, you know, and also, you know, you know, creating those new uh, neural pathways in their brain and really understanding the material. So, um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we were doing that and we expanded, um, and with my whole crew, I, I, uh, in a sense, it, it was all family members. Um, so my brother, uh, Javi and, and Alex, my sister, uh, Jojo and my, um, sister-in-law Sharice. And of course, uh, my wife Hadassah, um, was part of that group. Yeah, and we, we would, you know, do these recordings and post them on YouTube and, um, you know, re- really create some visibility uh, within our uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, handles. Um, when the pandemic hit, uh, things pretty much uh, shut down in a sense. Um, we, were, we were really pushing to, you so know. So you guys, do you uh, actually have to stop the group in the pandemic? Yeah, it, it, it was hard because so we, we did our so we did our recordings at the time at my parents' house when oh. they well at the time yeah they were living in New York but they they've since now moved um, they're in uh, Connecticut now but um, but yeah and and mind you I was living in Virginia so I would come up I would drive up on the weekends oh, and we all meet you up you guys and, were doing this you know, the hard way now you know, I just yeah. put you in on this platform so. <laughs> You, you don't have to 
Now, oh, that's oh yeah. Be- believe me, if I do about this, then <laughs> yeah, you, we're gonna cut this thing. Yeah, going. You, do, you don't want. That's the hard way to do it because now I understand that completely. But that's an honorable thing to do, and and I assume that you guys probably have a pretty good following. I'm going to check it out. I have an 80 year old son, and uh, yeah, and check out Read to Lead and see uh, uh, how he likes it. I, I'm sure it's it's pretty fun. Uh, so let me ask you this: uh, switching to a little bit more, jumping into the world of uh, cyber, and you've spent a lot of time in in the federal government. One of the areas that's been uh, a huge concern and, and for a lot of people, and Ted Koppel actually wrote the book on this thing, you know, it, it's about our national grid, our power grid. You know, right. can you help us understand? Are you aware of any legislation that's been brought into play to help harden the grid? Uh, is there any pending action or any proposals? Because from what we understand, uh, right now it's just a conglomeration of a bunch of independent uh, companies that have come together that create our national grid. And that creates a vulnerability, if you will, in, in one of the most sensitive infrastructures in the country. Well, I, I guess... And uh, I guess a quick answer, there really, there hasn't been anything that's been, um, I guess, fully uh, effective um, as of yet. Um, we, we had the, the executive, uh, the executive order 13, uh, 800, um, and that was uh, strengthening the cybersecurity, uh, federal networks and uh, critical infrastructure uh, during the uh, Trump administration. And so the purpose of that was to uh, improve the nation's uh, cyber posture and capabilities as we faced, um, you know, various uh, cybersecurity threats. Um, last year, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and uh, Jobs Act was passed. I think that was in around July or August, if I remember correctly. And um, so, out of the, it was about five hundred fifty billion dollars in uh, new spending. Um, it, it was a big infusion of money, um, which I think a lot of a lot of folks w- within uh, the cybersecurity um, uh, field were really paying attention to it because I think one of the biggest thing was that you know, for whatever reason, you know, or you know, organizations they always look at cybersecurity last or give cyber you know the least amount of uh, money when it, when it comes to divvying up within uh, organizations. Why is that, by the uh, way, just to sidetrack a little, what's your, I have, I have an opinion about it, but I'm curious to hear yours. I don't know. It's almost as if like they, they feel, I, my, my, and this is my opinion. Um, I, I think they feel if everything's going okay, like why do I need security now? Or why didn't, why do I need to put, invest so much money into it now? But it's, it's almost like a backwards thinking because then once, you know, there, there's reports of a, an organization or a company being um, exposed, you know, or being compromised, that's when the money starts flowing. And I think by that time, it's too late because you're, you, you have to, you're already facing, I, I would say, public embarrassment because, um, you know, some 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 of the things you hear like and it means like some of the simplest things like they use them very simple passwords oh, you know kind of like cyber 101 you know like not changing the the default password on certain things so it's you know stuff like that and you know if you're responsible for you know you know a great amount of customers um and and you're having very lax cybersecurity uh rules or posture you know it doesn't look it doesn't look good on the company so but Honestly, I don't know. All right, I, 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 you know, ho- hopefully things, you know, that attitude has changed or starting to change when it comes to that. Or, but uh, I, I feel like they, you know, that the mindset has been from from what I surmise is that they, if everything is going okay, they don't want to invest a lot of money. Yeah, we've seen uh, it. In the you cyber. know, uh, people. There's a lot of companies. You know, it's it's really cost prevention. A lot of companies feel it that way. And they don't mm-hmm. realize that cybersecurity is not an IT problem. It's actually a business problem. Right. And 
what happens is that a lot of times the cyber responsibilities from what we have seen cybersecurity responsibilities rest with the IT the general IT team and they're not typically specialists in the area and as a result their spend is related to more IT related causes than cybersecurity related causes there's an inherent conflict there uh, which is why we've typically been the proponent of trying to pull the sizzles office out of the CIO's office and they should be separate um, and have their own budget and do what necessarily needs to be done and, and have a risk reporting obligation, but we don't get to set the rules. So, you know, right. we just get to say an opinion, but I, I agree with you there. There's a lot of companies where it goes on the back burner. It really does. So with that, like, uh, did you guys, uh, I'm sure you, the federal government's done assessments on the risk to the grid. I, I can't believe they would not have. They, they would have probably done some very detailed threat assessments. Uh, yes. And, um, and, and one thing I, I did want to add, um, yes, when, it, when it, when it comes to, um, I guess, uh, money or, you know, appropriations for, for the grid. Um, so for, from that investment, um, on jobs act about, I think about $27 billion were was cut out for, uh, uh, power grid spending and and that'll be over the course between uh yeah, 2022 through 2026 so it's it's uh i'd say it's a, it's a good start um you know s still a lot more work to be done because I, I, I feel like they the the the, the grid in, in it as a whole is a it's a you know it's a big patch job uh it, it really you know, is yeah so it's and, and it's hard to you know as with anything you know if you want to repair something you you have to take it down take it offline talking about doing that for the grid that's almost almost impossible uh not, not without not not without doing that without having any you know real world uh, effects uh so it's i, I say it's, it's a very hard balancing act to, you know, want to address the problem, the, the amount of money that's that's needed to to you know to, to truly address it and and have effective change for it, and um, would because we ever also, get would we ever so, let's say there was even all the money in the world for this. Given the fact that the generation is separate from transmission, which is separate from distribution would you know a lot of these uh distributors are smaller companies do you think they would even jump on the bandwagon to do something because if i want to penetrate the grid that's where i would start that's the low-hanging fruit right there start mm -hmm. from the distribution guys generation's so, pretty so good i mean those are big companies right they've you know, smaller companies that they, they can't afford to uh, take those necessary or, or require or, you know, make those necessary security uh, measures. Um, they they are more apt to take more risks um, with their security because they just can't bandwidth. Um, a lot of smaller companies, their security posture is a person of one or two people and, you know, they're already stretched thin to begin with. So when it comes to uh, security vulnerabilities or someone who's trying to penetrate the grid, they will look at those, you know, not necessarily, you know, those more established uh, power companies who, who has a more or stronger, you know, or hardened uh, security posture. They look at those smaller companies that's connected. Those companies that are stretched thin with the person of, you know, security team of one or two people and, and go in that route. Um, so, you know, there needs to be, for, for those companies, uh, I, I would say they need to be provided with uh, more adequate training. They, they need they need more help, I think, more guidance, more assistance. Uh, I don't know if, if 
that should be from the, the federal level, but uh, that does pose a, a problem um, when, when it comes to uh, strengthening the grid uh, from all facets. Well, let's just chat about that for a second. Do you think then the federal government itself should maybe provide the cybersecurity umbrella for those smaller providers that are in the critical infrastructure? Or is that really a bad idea? <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, I, I guess may, may, maybe give them the option. Um, cause I don't, I don't want to say, you know, anything that should be, you know, necessarily mandated or anything coming from the federal government, you know, my, you know, I, it seems like the word mandate is not a, it's not a, a good, good word now these days. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. And, and it's, you know, and also, you know, these companies, they're, you know, they're private sector, you know, companies that they don't, they can. They're necessarily, you know, they're not government employees, you know, uh, so it's, hey, I don't know. I, I guess it's a hard balancing act because they, they are providing a service, you know. You know, there's, but the thing is that there are a lot of cybersecurity firms out there that hmm. could provide them with a professionally delivered umbrella. I think uh, maybe just raising the awareness in those companies to, if they don't realize they don't have the resources internally, then look elsewhere, wherever it may be, right? But get the coverage right. that's needed. Get the get the protection in place. Right. right. You don't have to do it all in-house. You don't have to invent the wheel, man. People have already done that. Right. Yeah. Just buy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the... You know, which brings, you know, back in 2014, when the Russians annexed the Crimea, Crimea, I should say, uh, from the Ukraine, one of the key pillars of their attack was a cyber attack on the Ukrainian grid. Could, how did that attack play, take place? And could that same attack take place in the United States? All right, so we're getting to the meat and potatoes now. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> All right. I, I just love, love to know. Yeah, so um, so given what uh, Russia was able to accomplish um, in, in 2015, I believe it was quite significant. Uh, so they they manipulated the grid, which left over about 200,000 uh, Ukraine residents uh, in complete in complete darkness. Um, and How did they do that? Fill us in a little bit. Give us the good stuff. What? What did they? Okay. Do? So, right. So yeah. So so when uh, yeah when Russia first uh, attacked Ukraine in fifteen, uh, it was through a cyber group called uh, Sandworm. So they're you know uh, state sponsored uh, uh, hackers. So they launched a series of attacks uh, against uh, Ukrainian media, you know, uh, agencies and the like, and. So I, you know, I was saying, I'm, so they, and they did this like right before Christmas. So mind you, it's cold, yeah. <laughs> uh, not having any power or heat in your house. Um, so, and, and part of what they did was, uh, or, or Sandworm, they, they essentially perform uh, DDoS attacks, um, which, you know, pretty much they were like bombarding, um, their operators with, uh, uh fake phone calls to, to overwhelm them. They turned off the um, the backup power supply uh, to their control rooms to to pretty much add on to the the, the chaos that's already ensuing. So and, they went um, to the uh, ICSs, the industrial control systems, to turn off the power right. of the backup. Right. Was this a case of someone not changing the default password on the ICS? <laughs> uh, that. I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, they, yeah, they, their security posture was uh, at, at least at least for Ukraine's response, it, it took them a while to figure it out. Um, after about six hours, um, before they they were able to um, uh, initiate that, uh, I guess that manual override to turn the systems back on, and then. Um, 
following year in 2016, uh, uh, Russia uh, attacked Ukraine again. And it's, I, I would say, you know, Russia uses Ukraine almost as like their uh, cyber, cyber test bed. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, yeah, especially in light it's, of current circumstances, it's horrible what's happened to those folks. Right. I mean, it's almost like history kind of repeating itself almost. Yeah, because they're, you know, of course, unfortunately, they're doing it again, but this time with more kinetic uh, uh, weaponry this time or, or, or more soldiers on the ground this time as well. Um, but in, in 2016, they, uh, so Russia attacked uh, Ukraine again, uh, focusing on the capital uh, of uh, Kiev, or uh, Kiev, um, hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, there, at that point, they destroyed like terabytes of, uh, of data, um, including the, the country's national budget uh, for the year. I mean, it, it's it's more like one of those like those nuisance attacks, um, and, and this attack, you know, culminated towards another uh, power grid attack. Uh, this this attack was shorter this time around, um, but it was still had it was I'd say it's still very effective. Uh, still, you know, powerful attack. Um, they disabled uh, uh, safety systems uh, in the transmission station. So, you know, when uh, Ukrainian operators went to, you know, go for that manual override, um, it could have caused an overload of overload of current. Um, may have caused uh, transformers to uh, explode as a result. But um, that that part of the attack failed due to like a. Uh, it was like a minor, uh, I guess, misconfiguration in the in the malware. But you know, well, that's a good thing that that happened. But that also says that these are so your typical hacking group does not have power systems engineers on their team that can tell you, "Hey, man, knock out the the safety control system first, and that's going to result in X, Y, and Z happening." It sounds like. They actually provided, a, the Russian government provided a lot of technical resources to help architect what a, an attack on the grid should look like. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. They, you know, they, um, and, you know, as, and as we talk about this, and, and I think there, there really is an inherent fear when, as we see this, uh, playing out and and especially like right now with what what's going on um there is there is a fear of um you know russia you know gravitating towards using nu nuclear attacks and also you know turn turning their sights on to the u.s you know um you know i mean the history between russia and, and the u.s it's i would say is very well documented you know russia doesn't like us uh and they don't want us to to help uh, Ukraine. Um, so the more, I believe with more, uh, uh sanctions and, uh, and re really trying to put a, I would say a stranglehold on Russia, trying to limit their capabilities. I think it's to me, in my opinion, it's going to have, um, the opposite effect instead of slowing down Russia. It, it may even, uh, I would say anger them even more, and like and like I said, they may turn their turn their attention uh, towards uh, the United States. But also, I, I think I think one thing to mention, one thing to watch for too, is you know the role of China. Uh, China, they're almost on the fence to say you know they're they're saying you know they're kind of in the middle, saying they don't support the what's going on, but. They're not fully condemning Russia either, um, and I think recently there's been reports of they, you know, they might be providing Russia with, you know, money, which they're pretty much cut off right now. Russia due due to the uh, severe sanctions that they that the U.S. has levied on them. Um, uh, yeah, so th there's been you know early reports of you know, like I said, China wanting to you know provide assistance in that regard. So, and if you have China and Russia, you know, working in tandem, um, you know, it doesn't, I, I, I would say, you know, it, it could spell something of a, you know, World War Three type of uh, event. Well, let's hope that that doesn't happen. Um, when the, when the Russians 
disable some of the control systems, were they able to do this in the nuclear plants as well? In the nuclear power plants? Yeah, yes. I'm I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question one yeah, the more question, time? I'm sorry. The question was that you mentioned like they did DDoS attacks and then they were able to disable safety systems. Was it I'm assuming that, that was on conventional power generation or uh, transmission facilities. Were they able to do something similar? Were any of Ukraine's nuclear power plant assets affected by the cyber attack? That, um, as far as for yeah, Ukraine's uh, nuclear, um, that that I, I'd say I'm not quite familiar. Um, I don't want to give a incorrect uh, answer there. No, that that's fine. Um, uh, because I that was one thing I didn't. I in the literature I've read, I didn't get the impression that those were that affected but i was just curious so i thought i'd ask the question on uh on that topic now could they do could the strategy that was employed by the russians in the ukraine could that strategy work against the united states is it even possible that that would be successful or not? I, I would say part of it could be I, I would say at least, um, but at this point, not, not without help. And, and that's why, you know, as I mentioned, the uh, kind of just watching and see what happens. I think a lot of tension right now is with China. If if there is, you know, let's say China comes out and say, hey, you know, I'm signing with Russia, that could be a problem. Um, you know, for for the United States, I think Russia by itself, no, especially at its, I would say, current weakened state. But if they do have the backing of, I would say, a superpower in China, uh, I think their chances go up uh, substantially um, or exponentially, I should say, because uh, uh, China does have um, because I, I mean, as as I'm thinking right now, just merging their their cyber teams, their cyber armies. What what happened to Russia and China? If they say, "Hey, let's let's put our forces together and and, and focus on the U.S." Yeah, I, I think that could be an issue uh, for the United States. There could be some there could be some damage or um, substantial um, some some sort of substantial effect if that if that were to uh, that were to happen. But I got to believe that our strong armed forces are what the deterrence is there, because we would probably regard that as an act of war. And, 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 and that's always the question as to, like, at what point do we say, do, do we, which cyber attack is, is the one that, that says that we can retaliate, retaliate, um, with uh with our own forces um it, it's always seen to be towing the line you know doing some of this and you know it's, it's not necessarily new as far as you know you know the united states does attacks in different countries and vice versa but it's um it's almost you know at what point with i i guess which attack is the one that's gonna say hey are you really crossing the line now we're gonna involve our troops um I feel if there, if there is an attack that's very effective, I, I, I will say if given the current state of, of our power grid and if there was attack that were that was able to really do some um, harm, uh, I guess here to the homeland uh, through the power grid, I think that would be enough, especially given what's going on currently right now. I believe that would be enough for the United States to um, retaliate with force, and and again, I, it's it creates that uh, that world world like three type of scenario. 
Right. I, I would imagine. So I, I'm thinking that it wouldn't be uh, the attack wouldn't be something small. It would be something that would cause catastrophic damage where right. we've actually disabled our power grid for several months on end. And now people can't get to refrigeration. They can't get fuel. They, right. they can't they can't do the basics of life that everyone is used to now because we're so dependent on electricity. That would probably be the trigger point of, oh, that's an act of war. Absolutely. I mean, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, just I think attacking or compromising any any of the of our uh, critical critical infrastructure sectors. Um, if you look at the uh, the financial sector, you know, um, if you're able, if you if we get to a point where you go to the bank, you try to pull out money, and you you know, the, all, all the ATMs, all banks to say, no, you know, there's no access. That's going to cause, a, you know, I, that's going to put a lot of people in a, you know, uh, you know, survival mode or survival tactics, I'd say. Uh, you look at the, uh, the hospital sector, and uh, they've been, uh, or healthcare sector, I should say, they, they've been uh, hit hard with uh, cyber attacks as well, especially during the, uh, at the start of, uh, the COVID pandemic, um, you know, if if it gets to the point where, where the, the healthcare sector is is truly compromised, um, patients can't be seen, you know, uh, charts, you know, a lot of a lot of the data for different patients are relied upon, you know, technology, and if, if that I mean, if that is compromised, right? <laughs> if that is compromised. Um, Especially for you know extensive period of time where, yeah, you, you take out that sector, you take out the power for you know extended period of time where 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 even you know backup generators are you know they run their depletion. We have a serious problem. Um, we're, now we're talking about loss of life. Uh, there's not going to be um, there won't be any sort of civil discourse anymore. Uh, because now it's all about survival. I think, you know, you're, you're talking about riots, by increased violence, um, because... Well, I think it you know, would lead to quite a chaotic situation because absolutely. Uh, you know, mo modern uh, life in the United States is highly dependent upon electrical power. Uh, right. It, it's not like if we turn back to the clock to the 1930s where those guys were tough. You know, they lost power. Yeah, okay. You know, we used to eat fresh food. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, um, back in my day, type of thing. <laughs> people, people uh, didn't have cars all the time. They, they, they took steam locomotives, or they took, uh, rode their bikes, or you know, did different things. All that stuff's out the window. So, what should we do here? What, what are your uh, Give us some strategies or suggestions for what should be done to minimize the risk to our grid. Well, um, it, it, and it, Canada's because you can't disregard them. Those guys are unfortunately tied with us in some respects. All right. <laughs> so um, yeah, so as great as you mentioned that. So yeah, so the so the. Yeah, the U.S. electric grid, you know, comprises of three, you know, interconnected uh, grids. So, the eastern, western, and Texas. Um, so, Texas wait, at, at, grid? yeah, yes, ERCOT. <laughs> it's it's separate from from everyone else. Um, Why? <laughs> Just cause. I, I I guess that's how Texas likes to do it. That's how they roll. I guess. <laughs> we, well, you know, and, and you know, unfortunately. We saw how that didn't work in their favor. Was it, it last? Didn't work at all in their favor. No, there were um, people that got hit with forty thousand dollar electric bills because. Right, um, there was loss of life during a time when they got hit with that big, you know, winter storm, which was a pretty much unexpected. You know, you know, our first time in I don't know forever. I I, I don't recall well, the exact. It seems exactly. like the once in a hundred year uh, events are happening on. A bi-weekly or bi-monthly basis. So I... Yeah, but it, you know, I, I think it, it is time to, to really prepare, you know, um, or or take you know take those considerations more seriously because, 
Yeah, they, as you said, like those type of weather events, they're starting to happen a little bit more frequently than, you know, than they did before historically. Um, so it's something I'd say you can't necessarily ignore um, or put off to the side anymore. Um, so, so as we come with the uh, with the, all the the uh, inter interconnected grids, as so from the vantage point of uh, North America, you know, uh, uh, Quebec's uh, Canadian province constitutes that fourth uh, interconnection. And the east, so the eastern interconnection makes up two thirds of the United States, well, you know, consisting of the United States and Canada. Um, so the, the National uh, Renewable Energy uh, Laboratory, or, or NREL, uh, they performed a study in in uh, increasing the transfer capacity for existing connections that, that could help balance uh, energy loads and increase efficiency. Okay. Uh, increase efficiency. Um, well, for the U.S. or the United States' uh, energy resources. So they partnered, so uh, the group of uh, NREL uh, researchers, they partnered with, or, or they, they're working in tandem with the uh, Department of Energy, uh, National Labs, uh, Iowa State University, and uh, just some, and also just industry uh, experts. Um, they conducted a study called the, the Interconnections SEAM uh, Study. Okay. So, and the purpose of the study was to they, they want to evaluate the costs and uh, benefits of uh, you know uh, strengthening uh, strengthening the connections or, or seams as, as they termed it uh, between the the western and and eastern uh, power grids uh, using uh, like high voltage uh, direct current uh, technology, you know. So and what they want to accomplish with that was trying to keep the the capital and operational uh, costs uh, keep keep both costs uh, for generation transmission resources uh, across the United States to a minimum. Um, but however, with when, when they conducted this study, it did not include uh, ERCOT, as I mentioned, you know, Texas. Texas. Um, so the, the White House uh, they had unveiled a. Um, this was sometime last year. They they unveiled like a hundred day uh, plan to uh, protect, you know, they, their plan to protect the the, the U.S. power grid from uh, cyber attacks, and mainly by by doing so by and, and the way they they want to accomplish that was by you know trying wanting to create or uh, foster uh, stronger relationships between the uh, the U.S. national security agencies and. And, and most of our private uh, utilities that that run the electrical system, um, you know, I, as I mentioned before, you know, the, the United States, you know, it's been you know well documented that you know cyber threats uh, focusing mainly on the the power grid continues to uh, increase, uh, continue continues to change in on. Uh, Continue, uh, man, losing the word. Um, they they could they continue to uh, get more. I, I would say more. Um, I guess crafty. I guess in, in how they deliver their their cyber attacks. Um, There's a lot of innovation on that side of the house, right? <laughs> uh, so so. With that plan, they 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 want to include it's to include a series of uh, they want to you know like as a, as I mentioned that I guess more that co collaboration or or consultation between the utilities and the government, but it 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 will take um, with that plan it's not going to be overnight. It, it is going to take a you know a, say quite a few years for that to be implemented um, or to really see any immediate effects. Uh, from that, um, but part part of part of that plan, they're they're asking utilities to to pay for and install uh, technology to to better uh, detect uh, hacks. Um, you know, uh, specialized uh, computer systems, which which run or have direct connection to the country's uh, power systems. Um, you know, you know, or alternatively known as you know ICS industrial uh, control systems. Um, but I guess coping that. So that's more on, on, I guess, on the national level. Uh, 
I guess what a lot of people can do at home and this may, you know, this a lot of people may not agree with this, but or you know, may not want to hear it, but uh, you know, I, I, all those all those like fancy it's the hate mail part of the program. Let's Yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's not not the most popular, but uh, you know, all the, the fancy devices, you know, the the Google minis, all, all this, you know, all the you know, smart uh, thermostats and smart locks, all that stuff. Uh, you got to take it out <laughs> because as you as you add more more of those devices within your home, or, or even um, you know, for different companies or organizations, you you you're yes, you're you know, one you're you're, you're increasing convenience, and that's why black people do it, or, or they get them, you know, um, but also at the same time. Any of those devices that are, that are online, they're being assigned an IP address, and with an IP address, you're increasing that attack surface, and you're you're you are giving another entryway, a possible way in to for for an attacker to uh, get uh, within your your system, your home system, or your home network. Um, and as far as you know, I guess more on the the power grid scale too. You know, we see a bit of that. We're trying to create that efficiency for operators. You know, monitoring the power grid. You know, uh, being able to to monitor. You know, a- away from I guess uh, the base station or, or what have you. But but knowing that as you as you as you're able to remote it and watch it, attackers potentially could do the same thing too. So it's yeah, it, it's it it is a balancing act between you know convenience and security it's and been the asset determinant. Ever, right? Right. You know, it's been the, and convenience has won out most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and and I yeah. and I would also put a little bit, uh, quite a bit of ownership on the OEMs though, because when they're designing their products and technologies, security is taken doesn't even have a seat at the table in many cases. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. It's been really been about the convenience factor. Like you're not so smart fridge or Alexa or Google minis and all these things. Uh, that those are all attack surfaces and they're all represent vulnerabilities in many respects. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, 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 I watched a demonstration like in writing. I mean, they tell you. <laughs> You buy our TV if it's got a camera or a microphone on it, you know, turn it on. They're, yeah, I, I mean, all of them are pretty much listening devices within your home. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, whether, whether people want to acknowledge that or not, but, you know. Oh, we saw it with yeah. Ring. Remember the hack with Ring? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they were uh, using those devices to actually transmit and receive. Right. So, so it went both ways. Well, Dr. Joseph, we're here at the hour. Um, I know it's a Friday afternoon. We really appreciate your time. And we're going to have you back because uh, we really just touched on a little bit about your career and how you moved over to cyber. We really like to continue a little bit of that conversation. And I think our listeners would like to hear about it as well. Uh, sure. Especially as many, are, many people who listen are considering uh, careers in cybersecurity, and and I think it would be uh, of benefit uh, to those folks. Uh, but we really appreciate your time. And uh, if there are any links uh, that you would like us to have, please send them to me, and I'll put them in the show notes. Absolutely, I'll do that. Yeah, please. Um, and let and- us know how should can people reach out to you if they would like to to get a hold of you in some way, shape, or form. Sure. Um, I, I think that the best way is through LinkedIn. You know, just uh, just find, you know, just type my name in in the search bar and you, you'll find me. I, I love to connect. Um, I, I definitely love speaking with, with people, um, whether it's in uh, academia, those who are just starting out um, in, in the IT or cyber field. I, I definitely make time to speak with those and just, you know, uh, I, d- I love to do uh, mentorships, you know, consultations, what have you. So, yeah, uh, LinkedIn is really uh, the best way to reach out. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, sir. 
Appreciate it. Thank you. Any um, final parting words you'd like to get in before we go? Yes, actually. Um, I, I do want to mention, uh, uh, I guess, for, for your uh, population or for your listeners, uh, my, my wife, uh, Hadassah um, Burt Miller, uh, so she, she is a, a full-spectrum doula and a Lamaze educator. And, uh, and, you know, due to the, the current maternal and infant um, mortality and morbidity rate, morbidity uh, rates within the uh, black community, that's something that she, she's very passionate about. Uh, she's, currently, uh, she's currently a student uh, working towards becoming a certified professional midwife in the DMV area. So any of your listeners uh, planning on having babies soon, you know, reach out to her. And, um, and we're talking about veterans. Um, uh, I have a very good contact, uh, Dr. Uh, Lisa uh, Marie Lee. She does uh, great work uh, assisting veterans um, who are, con- you know, to, to help them uh, entering uh, the civilian uh, workforce, um, you know, utilizing their earned skills to, you know, get their desired job or career field that, and, and really pay that they deserve. Uh, she's doing great work. So you can find her on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. And I, and I can give her, you know, information uh, to you afterwards for the show Please notes. Do. We'll put them in the show notes. I will do. And um, no, no, thank you. Well, it's it's been fantastic and we're looking forward to having you back. Uh, take care and have a great week. Thank you, sir. You do the same.